0: Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! Happy, happy taking over other people's land day. Happy genocide! Yeah, for Thanks. the U.S. to our US, U.S. listeners. <laughs> Just kidding!
1: I, I do hope, they hope a good you Thanksgiving. all have a, yeah.
0: I do hope you all have a <laughs> great Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, yeah, I everyone at my work is currently MIA. Oh it's yeah, really funny having being part of a predominantly us-based company organization i feel like a weird outsider being the one canadian that like there's there's multiple global teams but i'm the one canadian so it's like i'm i'm like am i am i allowed to celebrate this (laughs) like do i also get to eat turkey today (laughs) yeah part of me thinks i should um, I'm a, I'm with you. Get a turkey sandwich. <laughs> I got a ham sandwich. Oh, well, you eat ham on Thanksgiving too. Close enough. That's right? close, yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome back to Paranormal. Yeah. I'm Nicolina. Back. And I'm Marie. And uh yeah, we're we're here on this uh great Thanksgiving Thursday recording this episode that you will hear on Tuesday of next mm-hmm. week. So I don't know if you'll be in the Christmas or the Thanksgiving or Christmas cheer by then.
1: Yeah, maybe Christmas This is a cheer. question
0: that I do have. Mm-hmm. Do Americans put up Christmas decor for Thanksgiving or do they stay in the fall vibes? I'm going to ask. I'll ask Jules.
1: We're going to find out.
0: Because We're find out. She this sent is something me that
1: photos from her family's
0: Thanksgiving today and mm-hmm. in the background, I saw not one Christmas decoration. That's the thing. I was like, you know, so many Canadians, so many people I know have already started putting up oh, Christmas yeah. decorations. Oh, yeah. I come from a household that's always waited till December first or the week leading up to December, the weekend leading yeah. up to December. So I never did that. And I was always wondering, like, do Americans ever just like go from Halloween to Christmas? I don't think so. They, I mean, it's so odd. It's not because we mm-hmm. don't have our Thanksgiving in between. We've already had mm-hmm. ours. Anyway, yeah. that's that's my question let for us know. all of our listeners right now. Email us and tell and us. And send us a spooky story if you want to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I just wanted to uh, talk about Magic Mind, uh, our sponsor, quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about it last episode, and I just wanted to let everybody know that Um, you know, you can get a discount, uh, 20, 40% off your order, um, with our discount code, which is, um, para 20, P-A-R-A 20. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, if you're interested in basically increasing your productivity and getting better sleep and doing it. Naturally, then um, I highly recommend trying out Magic Mind and yeah, it's just like the tiniest, cutest little bottle and Super you' can cute keep it in your fridge and take it on the go or take it with your you know morning routine. It's a great replacement for caffeine. so if anyone like myself um, who's been told to cut back on their caffeine, This is a good alternative to that so that you can Mm -hmm. at least get your day going and focus at work because I need that just something. I don't know if it's like at this point a placebo effect for me that I need to be drinking something as soon as I start my day. (laughs) <laughs> totally. No, I'm the exact same way. I feel the exact
1: same way. I need to be drinking like a morning coffee. Obviously, I've started trying to supplement some of those with Magic Mind since they sent us our samples. Right. And it's been pretty, pretty good. I'm going to say it's been pretty good overall. Yeah. Um, love that it's natural ingredients, obviously. And like you said, Cute, compact, tiny little <laughs> bottles, and I love the art on them. I know I talked about that last time, but it's true.
0: <laughs> it is really, really cute. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely feel like when I sit down at my computer in the morning, if I don't have something like, to, to drink, yeah. I feel like my morning can't start. So, 100%. um, yeah, and then sometimes it's just like, oh, do I really want to have three coffees this morning, or like <sighs> going to the bathroom, like for the first hour of my day because I, my bladder's full. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, a great way. It's very, like it's, your stomach won't be affected by it. Like it's like very, very like easy to drink, easy on your body, like feels good, feels very natural. And you can just go to magicmind.co forward slash para, P-A-R-A, and you can get 40% off your subscription for the next 10 days with the code PARA20 or 20% off a one-time purchase order. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, go ahead.
1: The, 40, the 40% off is if you're buying a subscription and the 20% is if it's just like a one-time
0: purchase. One-time yeah. order. And it comes with like your one-time order, I believe, comes with like a a large package of mm-hmm. of them to last you like a month or something along those lines. So yeah, that's – that's it. So you anyway, um moving on. Do we want to do some uh some horoscopes? I would love to read you your horoscope today. Okay. Are you ready? I am. An older visitor
1: might come to your door today, Leo. <laughs> you aren't likely to be too thrilled about this, you <laughs> will But you will be able to play the good host anyway. Oh, romance and sociability may be a bit limited by obligations to family, particularly parents, but don't let it get you down. You may be stuck at home tonight,
0: but you will be able to let loose later. Did your mom come to pick up the dogs? Yes, she did. Yeah, I knew it. My mom came by out of, she messages me at, I don't know, 11 being like, could Cosmo use a walk? And I was like, Yeah, he's waiting outside for anyone who will take him. Um, (laughs) So that happened. And then she she did – She was trying to like ask me questions about things. And I'm like, I'm – I'm working, like I'm fully like trying to work right now, and luckily I was because I didn't realize my internet was going to go out at three o'clock. Oh my god! Yeah, and complete. So and I had like Black Friday emails and stuff that I needed to send out to like for marketing, and I was like, if I don't have internet tonight, I would have been screwed. But anyway, it it was out. My internet's back, but still, I was like, mom, I really actually have things to do i'll talk to you on the weekend i don't drinking know drinking my magic mind to leave me alone <laughs> yeah you're you're ruining the the effects of magic mind with your incessant no she wasn't that bad but she she's just like she's she's the way she is um right. and uh and then yeah i am gonna be just like doing i'm gonna put my lights up on my tree tonight so oh that's good a, that's a party that's fun, yeah. Yeah, usually I have a pre-lit tree, but this year mm-hmm. I really wanted a specific tree that was flocked and smaller, and it didn't come mm-hmm. pre-lit, and I was like, it's fine. It's going to be like $15 to get lights. Yeah, so. yeah, it's fine. All good. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, yeah, and I'm going to do laundry. <laughs> so it rang true, I think, to a- yeah. Okay, good. Nothing <laughs> crazy, but yeah. Okay, so uh, yours is – You might be distracted by daydreams of a trip you're planning to take, Gemini. A friend could phone and want to discuss it, which doesn't help. Visions of faraway places and exciting pastimes may dance in your head, and routine tasks seem incredibly tedious and unworthy of attention. It's best to get them done if you can. Then you can fantasize about your vacation without guilt. So
1: I wouldn't say a trip, but like definitely have been thinking about like- Not vacation, even just like uh, honestly, not even at all. More just house house purchases, like thinking oh. about buying another house or m- moving house. Okay, right now with the state that we're in in Ontario, probably not. But um, I was fantasizing about that a lot today. <laughs> Fair enough. and Fair enough. uh My sister, we were at my parents' house, and she brought up your nun' knows house, which is on on the market right now, and we we're talking yep. about how freaking cute it is yeah and then my mom mentioned that a house on her street's going up for sale soon Mm -hmm. it's a smaller house on their street and I was like oh ask so sorry it was a grandfather who lived there he passed away and the grandson is friends with my brother so I was like tell Chris to ask the grandson if he would do a private sale if their family will do a private sale yeah because if I get a good deal on it I'll buy it I'll sell my house and go Mm mm-hmm And then my mom was like, you cannot afford the interest rate. And she's right. I can't because if I were to sell and get a new house, that would mean a new mortgage at a way higher interest rate and I wouldn't afford it. And then she was also like, did you forget how much my property taxes are? Because you also can't afford those. And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely can't afford a $10,000 a year property tax. So unfortunately, my dream of living in that neighborhood is probably not going to come to fruition for a while. Um, but fantasizing about taking a trip down there, I guess. (laughs) And then. Yeah. Fuck. um, The property
0: tax stuff is like, it's, you never, no one, no one talks about it. Like no one really talks about it. And then you're like, wait, I got to do this quarterly or yearly or however often you want to do it. I do it Um, it monthly. But I do it quarterly. But like, um, still it's, yeah, some areas are just crazy and it's another mortgage payment. It, yeah, like, my mom's
1: is, like, a second... Like, she doesn't have a mortgage, but, like, yes, it's, like, sure. a mortgage payment. Sure, yeah. Like, being retired, paying a mortgage. Yeah, you still have to give... You have to give the city yeah. money to live yeah. in your home. And my dad keeps trying to convince her to sell the house, and she will not go for it. No. She doesn't want to give up the backyard. That's
0: fair. Your backyard is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's, like, a resort back there. It is. So. It is a resort back there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I... I flip flop, right? I'm like, yeah, sell it. Cause like, you know, but then now I'm like, don't sell it. You're going to buy, like, sell it when it's, sell it when the market's high, right? Like when interest yeah. rates are low.
0: And like, I just feel like, um, what, what would they go into after that?
1: They're da- going to downsize for sure. Like a big downsize, like probably like a two or three bedroom
0: house at most. Sure. And then um It's just gonna keep appreciating though and value that house. Like I know. And that's the thing, like if you have it your whole lives and like that's a house I that know. you inherit, like you'll be very thankful for that, I think. But if it's they just but that. at the same time, if you want them to be around for you like exactly to like enjoy life as well when Exactly and mm-hmm. also,
1: it's not like I'm going to get the house. It's four of us that get the house. It's true. Right. Right. That's true. It's yeah. Not, it's not just like us. Sure. Um, but r- anyway, whatever. My dad wants to sell it. And my mom's like, are you nuts? Like, they're on protected land. Nobody can build. I mean, who knows in, in Ontario anymore. But <laughs> no, <sighs> one can, no one can build behind them because the Bruce Trail runs behind Right. Them. Right, right. Um, and yeah. I don't know. Like, my mom doesn't want to give up that privacy, I think. Like, it's very private back there, which is nice. It'd be very hard to come by something
0: equally. They're never going to find something. They'd never find something like that. Never
1: like that. Anyway. Anyway.
0: So, okay. Well, that's all. That's well. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on. Um, Okay. So, we're going to do two stories. Mm -hmm. I am going. Am I going first? Uh, No, no, you're you're going going first. first. You're going first. I'll ours are haunted no there's no theme really for this one no just kind of what? just enjoy just enjoy just, just sit back just relax, and enjoy the ghost <laughs> just stories be thankful
1: on thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> so, so i'm actually going to do the story of the first legally haunted house we very quickly touched on it when i did the episode of the watcher um and I meant had mentioned in in that episode that there was a case that was the first legally haunted house. and um was this kind of the same thing? did they Did they have an obligation to disclose da 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 da. So now I was like, well, we should talk about that house too, because that sounds fucking cool. Yep, so this yep. is this is it. Um, I got my information from a house beautiful article. It was extremely well written by Hadley Mandelson. Um, and this this was published actually not that long ago in July of 2022, um, and she did a great job. So I got pretty much all of my information from her and from a podcast, um, called Dark House and, uh, from a Reader's Digest article, which comes into play in the story. So let's go. The first house to be declared legally haunted in the United States is literally ten minutes away from Sleepy Hollow, and for those who don't know, Sleepy Hollow is the setting for the legend of the Headless Horseman by Rip Van Winkle. The house, which is called the Ackley House, sits at One Lavetta Place in Nyack, New York. It is also one of the parties involved in the Ghostbusters ruling. It begs the question: Just how haunted does a house have to be before being declared legally haunted? Lavetta Place is an idyllic cul-de-sac. The house was built in 1890, and it's a clapboard Victorian raised above the river with incredible views out of every window. It has a turret, a wraparound porch, a fenced-in pool, eight bedrooms, and four bathrooms. It boasts stained glass windows, hardwood floors, and intricate moldings, and ghosts. So it is my dream home. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Not much is known about the early owners, but local residents say that it was likely home to a family that is still in the area until it became unoccupied for around a decade in the 1960s. The weird thing about this house is that it isn't the site of any horrific murders or tragic deaths. House Beautiful was able to trace so Hadley was able to trace the stories of the ghosts back to a Reader's Digest article called Our Haunted House on the Hudson, written by Helen Ackley. Helen was married to George Ackley and had four children. In the article, she writes about happily living amongst the ghosts. Both Helen and George reported their hauntings. George saw a pair of disembodied feet wearing moccasins walk past him. And one time, while Helen was painting their entryway, she witnessed a man in colonial war attire. When their daughter, Cynthia, which is what I used to name my dolls as a child. (laughs) uh (laughs) Like in Rugrats? Uh, yeah, also, just it makes me laugh because I said to my sister the other day, I 100% was a witch in a past life. Like Lauren's right. Every baby doll that I ever had as a child was named Samantha, Cynthia, or Tabitha. Like nice. all, all, all um, witchy names. Witchy names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, so when Cynthia was in high school, she experienced something or someone shaking her bed until she politely asked them to stop. So most people, myself included, would be disturbed by these apparitions in the home. Like, obviously I love a good ghost story, but I don't like being woken up abruptly by an invisible force shaking my bed. Uh, But contrary to most people, the Ackleys didn't seem to mind the hauntings at all. They said they considered the ghosts to be a part of the family. And rumors of the house's otherworldly residents were swirling around the neighborhood long before the Ackleys moved in. When they met their neighbors after purchasing the house, one of the neighborhood kids had said to Helen, Lady, you know you just bought a haunted house, right? So, flash forward to 1989, 25 years after the Ackley's had moved into one Lavetta, and 15 years after the Reader's Digest article, the Ackley's were ready to downsize. They had listed the house just under 800000 like I wish, um, and a young couple, Jeffrey and Patricia Stembovsky, purchase the home. Now, Cynthia and the realtor have gone on record to say that Helen, the mom, did disclose the haunted history of their home in several passing conversations with the new owners. The realtor, whose name was Richard Ellis, says he even remembered that Helen refused to sign the contract before speaking with the Stembovskis about the ghosts. But the Stambovskis insisted that they had to find out about it through a contractor that was working on the house and stated that they would not have purchased the home had they known. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing about all of this is that Jeff Stambovsky has stated that he doesn't even believe in ghosts, but he does believe that other people's beliefs in ghosts would harm their investment. Oh, okay. Get it? Okay, Yeah, I get it. (laughs) I get it. Now, these exchanges were never properly documented prior to trial, so we'll never really know if the Ackley's really did disclose the information regarding the haunting or not. Either way, Helen was told that the Stambovskys wanted to pull out of their agreement after she had received the down payment, and then they filed a lawsuit against her for fraudulently misrepresenting a material condition of the house. Basically, arguing that not disclosing the haunted status of the home was on par with not disclosing a crack in the foundation of the home. They also argued that. Debatable, Helen, but okay. I, totally. They, <laughs> and the courts agreed with you uh, t- to a point. So, okay. okay. They also argued that Helen going around and telling stories of the hauntings had devalued their property. And the court originally dismissed the complaint and advised that Helen did not have a duty to disclose the information of the ghosts to the Stembovskis. It was dismissed on the basis that New York operates under caveat emptor, which translates to buyer beware. Basically, it is the buyer's responsibility to ask any and all questions that they may have concerns about prior to purchasing their home. The Stambowskis appeal this, which means that the case ended up going all the way to the New York State Supreme Court. Justice Rubin disagreed with the original ruling, along with two other judges who came to the majority opinion that the buyer beware should be set aside in this context because the defect is not a physical one. They basically said that certain things, like crime or other unfavorable past events in a location,
0: can devalue a market. And okay, but then they're be, admitting they're admitting they all believe in ghosts. Then at that point,
1: so they're not. They're just. <laughs> so I'll get to it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, other unfavorable events in a location can devalue a market and should be disclosed by the seller. And here's where we explain it. And since Helen had stoked the flames in the situation with her Reader's Digest article and was openly talking about the haunting to those in the neighborhood and basically anyone else who would listen to her, she couldn't deny it under oath. Whether the haunting was real or not and whether they believed in ghosts or not was irrelevant. She reported it as real often and passionately. Right. The court wrote. Having reported the ghost's presence in both a national publication and the local press, the defendant is a stopped to deny their existence. And as a matter of law, the house is haunted.
0: So, Damn. Yeah. Yeah. No. It makes it makes sense. Like she's she's through her media campaign against this house, basically yeah, devaluing it for the new owners because. And she, she did. I assume she didn't do any of the media when she was trying to sell. No, it was t- fifteen years before, right,
1: right? So she was just like, "Oh, gonna get all this press about it," not okay. thinking that okay. in the future she's gonna have a problem here. Ah, uh, right? gotcha. So okay, okay. One Lovetta pl- place has had many new owners in the time since the Stambovskis, and none of the successive owners have reported any ghosts. And some of the owners have been noteworthy people, and I think even one of them would have, like, like a an interest to report it as haunted. Sure. Because in the late 1990s, filmmaker Adam Brooks, who co-wrote the play Practical Magic, lived in it. And he Still. never reported seeing any ghosts. And then after him, one of my fave girlies, musician Ingrid Michaelson, lived in it. And she sold it in 2015. She listed it at $1.9 million, and she had never mentioned anything regarding the paranormal. I and
0: mean, then, they all could have learned their lesson, though, from the last-
1: They could have. <laughs> I mean, they could have. Know. At that point, though, the house is already like, oh, that's the haunted sure, house. You sure,
0: sure, sure. It's not really um, going to get any further uh, mm-hmm. negative attention. It's already kind of got that. And then the
1: last line, I have to quote it directly from, from the article, because I thought it was just brilliant journalism to end it this way. Clearly, the home attracts some fabulous creatives. Helen Ackley, the creative writer, included. So, is so there, I think what she was might her, have been just like full of creative, shit? I think she might have been a creative writer like uh-huh. that might have been her job. Oh. So then okay. I was like, "Oh, you idiot. Like look what you've done to yourself." So I have the Reader's Digest article if you guys want me to read it because, um, like, I feel like the story was a little short, so I don't mind reading it for you. Yeah, um, I'd like
0: to know what she said. Okay.
1: There are some extra haunting details in here, too. So, okay. again, it's called Our ha- our Haunted House on the Hudson. What is it like to live with invisible, most of the time, companions? According to this family, haunting is for savoring when the spirits are friendly, written by Helen Hurdman ackley I saw our house for the first time on a hot July day in 1967. A bedraggled old Victorian, it had stood vacant for seven years. Its waist-high lawn clutched about a sturdy stone foundation. Its wood-shingled roof was awry. But as I followed the real estate agent and my husband, George, into the spacious hall, I knew I was home. George, already working in New York City, moved into the house as soon as the final papers were signed. My job was to shuttle between our Maryland farm and our new home, closing one while renovating the other. One afternoon, the neighborhood children broke up a lively ball game to question me. Yes, we had bought the house. Yes, we did have children. Four. Although they wouldn't arrive for another week. When I told them they could look through the house, two of the kids hung back. The others giggled. They think there's ghosts in there. They're scared. Did you know you bought a haunted house? Later in the day, the plumber who was recreating the water system asked me, "'Are you planning to be here long, Mrs. Ackley?' "'Until 4.30, Bob. I have to pick my husband up at five. What's the matter? Have you run into problems?' Bob hesitated. "'It's not that, Mrs. Ackley. I keep hearing footsteps on the stairs and walking around overhead. I must have run up and down those steps six times the other day, and I couldn't find anybody. I'm ready to go now, but I don't want to leave you here alone.' I looked at Bob standing there, young, nearly six feet tall, solidly built. His concern was real. I managed a smile. Don't worry, Bob. I might as well get used to being here alone. That night, I told George about the two conversations as we got ready for bed. He nodded his head gravely and pulled up the covers. Sliding in beside him, I realized the hall light was burning. With a groan, I started up. Where are you going, George demanded. To turn off the light, of course. Leave it on. I looked at him. Since when have you slept with a light on? Since the first night I moved in here and I don't want to discuss it. Good night. He turned his back to me. As I dropped off to sleep, I wondered what it was with these crazy men and this lovely old house. I got nothing but good vibes. So we lived with the footsteps and I have found it reassuring to have such a vigilant patrolman on duty 24 hours a day. Anyway, all old houses creak. Footsteps. A light fixture cord swing over the family dinner table on a windless day, then stopping in mid-swing as if by some unseen hand. French doors suddenly flung open, a casement window gaping. These performances were not given on command, but several, several friends did see the phenomena. George nailed the casements shut and Cynthia, our oldest daughter, then 15, quietly closed the French doors when she found them ajar. George travels frequently, and at such times I may read into the early morning and even pace about the house with the lights out. One winter night, I stood at the window in the dining room looking out at our view of the Hudson River. The leaves were gone from the trees, and shore lights shone across the water. The diamond necklace of the Tappan Zee Bridge undulted with light over the still river. As I I stood, storing the magnificent memory, a chill engulfed my left side. Someone was standing beside me, very close beside me. Every hair on my neck and scalp stirred as I slowly turned my head. No body stood there, but an entity certainly did occupy the space. It's beautiful on the river, isn't it? I asked out loud. It isn't that I was calm, but I do react steadily in times of stress. As I spoke, my hair eased back into place and I felt no threat in the presence beside me. We stood looking out the window for a few more minutes, then I turned to leave. My invisible companion turned with me and walked beside me across the room. I hesitated at the door. So did the other. Thank you for sharing the view with me. I'm going to bed now. Good night. I walked alone down the hall to my bedroom, quivering, and closed the door behind me. Somehow, I got to sleep and slept soundly all night. Cynthia had never been hard to arouse in the mornings, but now she began to get up and dress even before George and I rolled out of bed. It's spooky, Mom, she explained. Every morning at exactly the same time, my bed starts shaking, and if I don't get up right away, the bed shakes even harder. Oh, my God. Cynthia was not scared or even upset. She had just hoped to sleep in later during the pending Christmas holiday. The plan we hit upon was not logical, perhaps, but it worked. Cynthia explained the situation to her invisible alarm clock out loud before going to bed that night, and during the vacation, Cynthia slept in every morning. Over the years, we have made many changes in our house. Many times, I've been sure that no self respecting ghost would put up with the hammering, dust, and confusion, but odd things continued to occur. The living room window flew up unexpectedly, startling many guests. We initiates would nonchalantly murmur, that's enough now, while closing the window. That would usually suffice for the evening. After we had painted the woodwork and the window lock was newly engaged, untoward motion ceased. But sometimes, in the summer, I like to unlock that window and, let's, and let the ghosts have at it. One day, I attacked the Battleship Gray living room. Paint time was at hand, and I was perched atop an eight-foot step ladder when I felt watching eyes. The feeling was not unfamiliar, but it was still a bit unnerving. I knew George was at work and that the kids were in school. I turned my head. The room was empty. I started working again, but the eerie feeling persisted. So I spoke out loud. I hope you like the color. I hope you're pleased with what we're doing to the house. It certainly must have been lovely when it was first built. As I talked, I kept painting, but I felt the energy of those eyes focused on the nape of my neck. I looked over my shoulder again. He sat there in midair, smiling at me from in front of the cold fireplace. Hands clasped around his crossed knees, he was nodding and rocking. He faded slowly, still smiling, and was gone. But I knew then that he approved of the work our family had lavished on our mutual home. What did he look like? He was the most cheerful and solid-looking little person I have ever seen. A cap of white hair framed his round, apple-cheeked face, and there were piercing blue eyes under thick white eyebrows. His light blue suit was immaculate. The cuffs of the short, unbuttoned jacket turned back over, ruffles at his wrists. A white ruffled stalk showed at his throat. Below, breeches cut to his kneecaps. He wore a white hose and shiny black pumps with buckles. No, I wasn't drinking that day. No, the paint fumes hadn't got to me. No, I don't know why I saw him then and have never seen him since, but I do know that he seemed happy to be there and I was proud to meet him. Cynthia was interested in my description of the gentleman because her shadowy roommate was quite different. On two or three occasions, she had seen the outline of a thin, hooded figure of medium height and was quite sure that it was a woman. Through the years, a number of our friends have told us of odd experiences they've had in our home doors that wouldn't stay closed, voices coming from empty rooms, a sense of being watched or even warned away. But not until my cousin Alfred, his wife Ingrid, and their daughter came to visit in 1974 did anyone outside of our immediate family meet one of our ghosts. At breakfast, after their first night with us, Ingrid's hands shook as she held her cup of coffee. She had awakened before daylight, she said, aware that someone was walking around in the room. Then, silhouetted against the French doors, she saw the figure of a man dressed in a long jacket of the revolutionary period. On his head was a curled white powdered wig. He moved to the foot of the bed and sat down with his back toward Ingrid. The mattress gave as if someone had sat down on the edge. Then the figure opened a big book in midair. The book glowed as if it were lighted from inside. The figure turned the pages one by one as though he were looking for something. Finally, he closed it, stood up, and was gone. There are always little incidents to mule over in a house like ours. There was the time George's ham sandwich disappeared while he worked. The look on his face was bewilderment and then rage that one of us would eat his hard-earned sandwich. We never really convinced him that we hadn't touched it, although we all concluded, finally, that succulent ham sandwiches must be enticing down through the ages. Our ghosts have continued to delight us for nine years. When he's home from college, our son George, like Cynthia, is shaken awake each day. Our son William has only had his bed shaken once, and that was when he slept in Cynthia's room. And our daughter Cara Lee seldom, as she is an early riser. But Cara Lee is on the lookout for the presence that often makes her feel that someone is sitting on the empty living room sofa. And, just recently, my husband saw a figure in the hall, which disappeared as he came up from the basement steps. Only the foot was in his line of vision, clad in a soft moccasin-like slipper. Then there are what we call our gifts from the ghosts, a pair of tiny silver tongs for Cynthia when she was married, and later on, a small, embossed, golden baby ring to honor the birth of our first grandchild. After every possible attempt, we have never been able to explain their appearance in our home. We have come to savor these happenings. They give us a sense of the continuity of the past with the present and with the future. These elusive spirits seem gracious, thoughtful, only occasionally frightening, and thoroughly entertaining. Now we wonder, if the time comes for us to move again, is there any way we can take our otherworldly friends with us? And that's
0: it. Hmm. hmm Like, obviously she is a creative writer. Obviously she's exaggerated certain aspects of this. I do feel like there's a sense of reality here to Mm -hmm. a degree. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how real these things are. Yeah. 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 I don't don't know. know. To me, there's nothing like nefarious about oh go go ahead. Mm, So not maybe nothing
1: nefarious. And I mean clearly these people have money. You know what I mean? Like they're clearly wealthy. It's a beautiful home but at the very bottom of the article there is a little like thing from readers digest yeah and it says the readers digest continues to offer $3000 for 2500 word chronicles of original experiences in mm. the field of psychic phenomena which can be verified through witnesses and appropriate okay. documentation
0: okay so like so she's three thousand dollars to her to is this. probably
1: like mm, yeah like it'd be nice to have three thousand dollars you know like that'd be nice to have sure. but it's not like they were hard up for cash they had money
0: I mean but people three thousand dollars can is $3, appear to have money and be struggling like we don't know like
1: yeah you- and. She's a creative writer and she was like, what a story for me
0: to tell and can Probably. T- possibly monetize it further. Why not? Exactly. Right. No, I was just saying it doesn't seem like the ghosts are nefarious inside the mm-hmm. home. So uh. like, it's like, okay, I don't know if it would really devalue the property. Right. But like, some people- but The way like, she's describing them, but I guess, I guess. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I wouldn't want to be met with any apparition ever. Like even that's if it fair. was just like impassive. That is fair. That's like fine. I no thank you. No,
0: you're right. I don't. But I anyway. don't want to see a colonial soldier just like no. walk through my room. My my. i like, which side were you on first? <laughs> <laughs> first, tell me. Totally. Okay. Um. Mine is not as uh long as yours, but okay. That's. Because I don't have a Reader's Digest article to refer it to. Yeah, I really bulked it up with that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to do, like I said, we both chose stories that we had mentioned in previous um, episodes but haven't dove into. Um, So I'm going to do The Ghost in Apartment 14, which was an Unsolved Mysteries episode. And uh, for those who haven't watched it, this is the whole story that they tell and that that is told in that. And I just love it so much. So I want to I want to tell it. And I got my information from hauntjohns.net. And uh, it's an article by Courtney Maroke, And then radiotimes.com, an article by Lauren Morris, and then unsolved.com did uh, like a an article, but didn't have like an author. It was like just like a staff writer or something like that. Sure. So anyway, um, the ghost in apartment 14 starts with a woman named Jodie Foster no, not the famous one, (laughs) who recalled dreams she had shortly after moving into the Walnut Garden Apartments in Chico, California. On January 31st, 2000, Jodi and her three-year-old daughter, Hannah, moved into the apartment and Jodi immediately felt an unsettling feeling coming from the apartment. And it didn't stay peaceful inside the apartment for very long. Not only were Jody's dreams troubled, but other things started happening too. For one, her daughter suddenly started speaking to someone who wasn't there. A woman she called, My Liz. Jody seemed to take it in stride at first. Creepy, sure, but she didn't discourage her daughter from talking to what Jody believed was just an imaginary friend. Until things escalated. Like one night... When they went out to dinner, they came back and found the handheld receiver from their wall phone disconnected and in the back bedroom. So, you know, like when people had wall phones and they had the cord that attached to the wall phone. Yeah, um, for sure. It was completely just the the phone part was in the back bedroom. Oh, Oh my God. The same night, Hannah's toys had also been seemingly rearranged into a big pile without her consent. Now, at hmm. first I'm like, oh, well, maybe she did that and just was like, yeah, I didn't <laughs> Forgot. do that. I didn't do that. But yeah. the most alarming part of it all oh, no. was a sleep and snore Ernie doll was atop of the pile with a noose around its neck.
1: No. Yes. No.
0: What year was this? Um, two thousand.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Yeah. As you can imagine, Jody called the cops.
1: Yeah, of course. I'd be like somebody broke into my house and is threatening us. Sure, of course. Through sleep and snore Ernie of all things.
0: Yeah. However, she said they didn't put much stock in her claims. All they did was take her report over the phone. Soon the strange activity amplified to a degree she could no longer shake off and definitely couldn't ignore. In February 2000, so this is just a month after moving in. So it's not oh like God. they're trying to get out of a lease. Like, you know, no, like no. they just moved here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jody said she woke up to the sound of the TV hissing static. Confused, she got up and saw it was in fact on. Then, straight out of poltergeist, her art, her apartment came alive around her. No. The cupboards flapped open and closed, a burner on the stove came on, and then the Ernie doll came alive. No. Over and over, it kept repeating, I feel great. I feel (gasps) great. Jody had several options at this point. She went with the logical one first. She turned off the TV and stove, then took the batteries out of the doll. But Ernie didn't stop. Oh my god. Next, it started singing, Twinkle, twinkle, little star. No, with the batteries out. Yes. Then suddenly... All the lights came on by themselves as this doll is yelling. Still a little story. Yeah, singing it. So oh all God. logic flew out the window at this point and Jody hightailed it out of the apartment.
1: A hundred percent.
0: She went next door to her neighbor who was also the apartment complex manager. She had her poodle with her and brought it over to see what was going on. You know those poodles are great they're, detectives. They're, <laughs> they're great ghost hunters actually. Mm-hmm. As soon as the dog entered the apartment, it began barking out of control. Yikes. Then, the cord on a lamp started full-blown rotating in its outlet as if it was a jumping rope. What? Meanwhile, the Ernie is continuing to repeat, I feel great. I feel great. Oh my god. (laughs) Needless to say, they all fled from the apartment, scared absolutely shitless. Yeah. Early the next morning, Jody was sitting out at the pool crying, and a man who had lived there for 25 years stopped to talk to her and told oh her God. not to feel bad, saying no one ever stayed in apartment 14 long, not since the girl who had once lived there went missing. <gasps> he couldn't recall her name at the time, but that would be the first time Jody learned of the woman she'd later come to find Liz. was Marie Elizabeth Spanicky who went by the name Marliz. Why is it always a Marie? I don't know. It's always Marie in there. It freaks me out. It is kind of freaky. The last time anyone saw Marliz alive was on January 31st, 1976. (sighs) After she and her boyfriend had gone to a flea market, the couple had a disagreement and she decided to walk home alone but she never made it back to apartment 14. When she didn't show up at home after 24 hours, she was officially reported missing. After extensive questioning, Spanaki's boyfriend was cleared, but having only lived in Chico for a little over two months, there was nobody else to question about Spanaki's whereabouts. So where did she go? It seems she vanished into thin air. Oh my gosh. That's the question that remains to this day. But thanks in part to Jody's dreams, which came back even after she moved into another apartment, okay. a true crime book, and subsequent police investigations, we have a pretty good idea of the fate of Mar Mar-Liz met that oh. Mar Liz met.
1: This I can understand why this reminded you of Lauren with her Lady of the Dunes. Now,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Jody's story and eventual connection with Mar dispe- disappearance had a few serendipitous moments. Jody's boyfriend randomly came across a book called Perfect Victim The True Story of the Girl in the Box by Christine McGuire and Carla Norton. Okay. It wasn't that Jody doubted someone had gone missing from the same apartment she'd once lived in, but this book confirmed it really happened. Okay. Although the book mentioned Liz, the book was actually about Colleen Stan and her horrific account of being held captive for seven years by oh a sadistic God. man named Cameron Hooker and his wife Janice in their basement. Okay. Janice would eventually help Colleen escape, and she'd also shed light on what happened to Liz in her confession. Oh, fuck. After learning of all this, Jody realized... Could Hannah's invisible friend, my Liz, actually be the spirit of Mar-Liz? Right. Were Jody's nightmare psychic messages? Were they, in fact, the disembodied memories of this poor woman's last horrible moments? Oof. All she can think to do is call the Red Bluff Police cold case department and tell them what she knows, no matter how crazy she sounds. Mm-hmm. And detectives were shocked by the accuracy of the details that Jody provides. This is like... 25 years after the murder right yeah um so now we're gonna we're gonna talk about Janice and and Cameron um okay. so after finally fleeing from her husband and riddled with guilt Janice hooker came forth to authorities to turn her husband in
1: okay. she
0: explained how they had offered Mar Liz a ride on January 31st 1976 with the intention of kidnapping her Cameron had made it clear he wanted to kidnap a woman and he wanted Janice to help him. After questioning Liz and finding out she had no relatives in the area and no one really knew where she was, and therefore wouldn't draw a lot of attention if she went missing, Cameron had found the perfect victim. He would put a lot of thought and energy into his crying, even creating a head box made of wood and foam to put over her head. Oh my god. This not only effectively immobilized and blinded his victims, but it also absorbed any screams they might have. But to be sure, he also studied how to cut vocal cords. Oh my god. Marlez was apparently extremely vocal, enduring his torture, and Cameron became fed up with her loud screams. Oh my god. So, after he learned the craft of cutting vocal cords, he tried it on Marlez. Oh, my God. The trouble is he botched the procedure on Marlis, and that would contribute to her death. Well, yeah. The couple then drove north from their home in Red Bluff, California, and buried Liz's body in an unmarked grave somewhere near Lassen Park, California. Okay. Even though Liz's remains are still waiting to be found, Janice tried to help detectives locate them. She retraced the steps she and her husband had made from their home to where they buried Marlis many years earlier. The trouble was, she couldn't remember exactly where the gravesite was, just the general vicinity. Jodie Foster tried to help in her own way, too. About a year after moving out of apartment 14, she ended up having more dreams, ones that involved 35.76 and a capital A with the number 17. Okay. She wondered if that might represent coordinates or something. Her okay. gut told her it did. Particularly the 35.76, sure. which she believed correlated to the distance from the Hooker's Red Bluff home to where they would buried Marlez. Okay. She took a chance on contacting the Red Bluff Police Department. As you might imagine, investigator Kevin Hale was skeptical, as he always is, when someone calls with information on a case that allegedly came to them in a dream. Sure. But because Jody explained she had once lived in Marla's apartment, he decided to hear her out about potential information she might have about the case. Okay. Truthfully, the timing of her call freaked him out. Red Bluff PD hadn't made it public that they were opening up a cold case on Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. Jody's timing and calling with a potential new lead could be coincidental or serendipitous. Mm Mm-hmm. As it turned out, A seventeen referred to a road that led very near to where Janice indicated Marlis had been buried, and Jody would not have known any of that information. No. Even freakier was when Detective Hale explained the significance of thirty-five point seven six and the northeasterly direction she felt Marlis's gravesite was in. In a meeting with Jodi, he explained that after talking with her, they used Janice's info with mapping software and actually pinpointed the distance from the Red Bluff home to where they thought Liz may be. The number the mapping software came back with was 35.77. Whoa. So Janice's, what Janice, the actual killer, told the cops yeah. was exactly what Jodi was seeing in her was dream. Was seeing in her dream. Oh my God. Unfortunately... Cameron Hooker was not tried for Marla's death due to lack of evidence. But in 1985, he was sentenced to 104 years in the Colleen Stan case. Cameron and Janice kidnapped her in 1977, where she was kept as a sex slave for seven years and kept under their bed in a box in their Red Bluff home. Stan managed to escape in August 1984 and later reiterated what Janice had said to the police, adding that Cameron had a picture of Spanicky in their home. Okay. So, like, even though- This part sounds familiar to me. It was a very well-documented- like Colleen yeah. stands a v- notorious case, so okay, okay, yeah. So I probably yeah. know that one. Go ahead for sure. Oh, sorry. Um. However, since Spannakey's body was never found, the district attorney's office felt that there was not enough information to pursue the murder charge against Cameron, who still denies any involvement in the disappearance or murder of Spannakey. But like, why would Janice know this girl's name? Why would he know? Yeah, it's not like this was like a highly publicized disappearance either. Right. Right. And they and, made sure it wouldn't be by picking a victim that they knew wasn't going to exa- get a lot of exactly, coverage. Exactly, exactly. And like, just to know her full name and everything, and go to yeah. go to authorities and be like, "Listen, like I know we picked up this girl. Like this is what happened. That's Why crazy. would she incriminate herself in a murder?" Right. So news Re- Newsweek reported that the sentencing judge deemed Cameron Hooker the most dangerous psychopath he had ever encountered.
1: Holy fuck! Yet
0: he has been granted parole. Oh great! He was released from prison in September twenty on September twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. Oh my god! However, he is not on parole supervision in the community. He is in custody of the California Department of State Hospitals, undergoing sexual violent predator proceedings, pursuit pursuant to statute law or state law. Sorry. Okay. And he's not eligible for another parole hearing until twenty thirty. He's like okay. seventy now, so it's like okay, he'll be eighty if he yeah. does ever get out. Yeah. Um but yeah, that sorry, that that was that's really where things and then there hasn't really been any updates about um wow. anyone else other than uh the uh what's it called um the woman who was kidnapped. She was on the episode and basically like truly believes that what um Genius. what Jody had said about Jody, the kill sorry. Yeah, what Jody had said was it was accurate like it definitely th- these are the people who killed like sp- yeah. Spanaki like they did the same things to her that and the only reason why she was able to stay with them as long as she was and not be killed is because she was very quiet she said she's like wow i knew that i couldn't be vocal i knew that he he would get upset if i was too loud and i didn't want to and i guarantee you they told her we'll kill you like we killed the other yeah girl. yeah for sure if you're loud for sure yeah that's fucked. So that's when how she was able to and then Janice obviously eventually helped her out. But like Janice was obviously super, super um emotionally and probably physically abused by him as well. But Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Anyway, that's uh that's the story of apartment Holy moly. fourteen. And um yeah, pretty crazy. This woman was having such vivid friggin' dreams and experiences in this Yeah, that's nuts. In this place, like without having any indication prior mm-hmm. to that of what happened. Crazy. So yeah, we can do I some fuck Mary kills. I wonder if Lauren would want to oh. help
1: help with that investigation. Yeah, because <laughs> they still don't could. they
0: still have not found her body.
1: Yeah, I bet you she could. Anyway, yeah, let's move on to some fuck Mary kills. It is Sagittarius season. It is. My friends. It is the Saggies so, of the Sagges. We're doing we're doing it. We're doing Sagittarians. Okay. Do you okay. want to go first? I do. I'm choosing Pope Francis, (laughs) Ozzy Osbourne. These are weird choices, but And I know, I decided to do this. And Walt Disney. Those are your three.
0: (laughs) I'm going to kill Walt Disney.
1: Wow, okay, okay.
0: Wasn't he like a Nazi sympathizer?
1: I, I feel like... I don't. I don't know. I feel like I've heard that that's not true, and then I've heard that it is true. So
0: sure, let's kill him. I mean, enough I'm with enough you. rumors to <laughs> make Fair me enough. know about that makes me say, and he's dead already. So I'm like, let it go. Fair enough. Um, yeah, you can. Uh, sorry, it was Pope Francis. Francis and yes. who? And Ozzy Osbourne. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna marry Pope Francis, I guess illegally. Yeah, he's gonna and, get kicked out. Of- and I feel like Ozzy probably has some good moves with his tongue or something. So that's fair. I mean, of them all, who else am I gonna sleep with? I don't know. You're right. I'm sorry. Not Walt Disney and Pope Francis. <laughs> those are okay. those are those are hellish. I'm gonna. Those, <laughs> those are bad. Wanted it to be art. Oh, that. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. No. Wasn't hard, but it was difficult. It was difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um. I have here, Haley Bieber, Mm -hmm. John Stewart, Mm -hmm. Christina Applegate. Damn! I love all of those people. What am I gonna do?
1: I'm gonna. I'm not because I don't like Haley Bieber, but because I just I can't kill the other two. I'm gonna kill Haley Bieber. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was Christina Applegate, and I'm sorry, what was the John other one? John Stewart. John Stewart. Oh, I'm marrying John Stewart, having sex with Christina Applegate.
0: Okay, I yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with that. I love John Stewart. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. that was easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. fine. Let's keep it, keep it tight. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, <sighs> well,
1: thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. Yeah. Another classic episode
0: here. Uh, (laughs) Class act episode. Um, And you just, uh, that's showbiz, baby. Yeah, so just stay spooky. Bye. Goodbye.